Me Time and Murder is intended for mature audiences. Oh Listener God. discretion is advised. Today I am drinking water. And today for Me Time, I am going to draw the victims of today's case. I was relatively happy with how the James Bulger digital art turned out. Like, I don't normally do portraits. I normally do flowers, which, you know, you can, there's a lot more um, artistic license with it. Like, you can go a bit crazy, add more colours. Um, so I tried to, like, just use, like, the original pictures colour properties and, like, use, like, a pencil to turn it into paint. I don't know. It was okay. It was almost too realistic. Like, I wanted it a little bit more um, illustrator, illustrative. But yes, yeah, so I'm going to try again. And I figured out how to have the drawing up for longer instead of just little clips. I can, like, have it for longer. So it will be here, but not until we get to the case. Okay. And today's episode was requested by Lou Marie. Thank you, Lou Marie. Lou Marie was one of our first listeners. And I remember looking at our demographics and we had one person downloading from Beijing. And I was like, oh, interesting. So I like stalked her on Instagram and I was able to find she was also teaching English in Beijing while I was in Hong Kong. So I've always remembered Lou Marie and today is her episode. Also, I accidentally skipped Lou Marie. <laughs> I asked her what episode she wanted and I was like, totally, wrote it down, totally forgot. But I remembered, so let's go. Today, we are in the little village of Whitegate. This is Ireland, County Clare, by the way. Whitegate is tragically small. With only two local pubs, the Half Barrel and the Nightingale. According to the 2016 population on Wikipedia, Whitegate has a staggering population of 168 people. So tiny. Now, I'm not just going to shit all over Whitegate. The scenery around it is beautiful. See? Ah, lovely. I think I will keep this as the background for a while instead of the town. Yeah. The area around Whitegate, like this lovely water area, is popular for hiking, long walks, fishing and boating. Obviously, there's a lot of water and other water activities. Water skiing? I don't know. What else can you do in the water? But in 1994, all Irish eyes were on White Gate for very different reasons, for much more tragic reasons. Brendan O'Donnell was one of the few White Gate residents born and bred, but his little village life was not idyllic. Brendan suffered from severe psychiatric problems from a very young age. When he was four, fucking four years old, he was put on Valium, 
The Valium only worsened his psychiatric problems. The Valium would give him bad nightmares and he would see things in the room that weren't there. He would wet the bed and he was convinced there was worms in his food. Brendan was very close to his mother. And close is putting it very mildly. He was dependent, attached to his mother. But unfortunately, she was not really well either. She suffered from severe depression, sometimes being hospitalised. Every time Mrs O'Donnell was admitted for treatment, Brendan felt totally abandoned. Of course, this only worsened his mental state. Not only that, not only was his home life bad, but one time, little Brendan, and he's like a child, child at this point, witnessed his mother trying to take her own life. And that is not going to be good for a child's development. His home life was not good, to say the least. It was not suitable for children. And it doesn't end there. Brendan's father was a violent alcoholic. He would often come home drunk and beat Brendan with a poker, hurley, or bash Brendan's head against the wall. Thankfully for Brendan, he was often saved by his older sister, Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie would have to intervene and rescue Brendan from their father's beatings. She would have to intervene and rescue Brendan from their father as the beatings were so awful. Okay, and this is, he's still like under 10 at this point, getting his head bashed against the wall by his father. In 1984, when Brendan was only 10 years old, Brendan's mother passed away after a bad fall. And Brendan took this loss very badly. Brendan went into a deep depression and denial. When the family had the wake, they had an open coffin. And apparently Brendan stood beside it and kept saying, that is not my mom. And uh, it got worse. When they were burying her, Brendan was convinced that they were burying his mother alive. Oh, like, it's such, this is awful. Like, this poor 10-year-old is not well, not well in the head, getting beat up by his alcoholic father, and now his mother is dead, and he's convinced they're killing her by burying her alive. (gasps) Like, oh. Adding fuel to the fire, after the funeral, Brendan would go out at night and sleep on his mother's grave. Like, that's just going to make you worse. He's only like 10. After the death of their mother, Anne-Marie moved back home to look after her younger brothers. She had been living with her grandmother in Ayers Court, which is like a 40-minute drive away. She had been living there with her grandmother since she was six years old, and now she was 14. And I suppose head of the house, like she's 14, it's her job to look after the kids, as you do, like, I guess, different times. After his mother died, Brendan became kind of a tearaway, stealing and breaking into people's houses. The people of the village were afraid and cautious of him and kept their distance. His first chargeable offence was a big one. His violence and 
criminality was clearly escalating. He broke into a house, stole a gun. Then he went to his sister's friend's house where he held his sister and her friends captive for hours. Thankfully, nobody was hurt, but Brendan was sent to a young offenders institute, Trinity House in Dublin. At this point, he is now 15. And you think, great, he is finally going to get some help. He's going to get the best doctors, the best medicine, care. No, no, get that out of your stupid head. (laughs) Trinity House only made Brendan's life worse. According to Brendan, he was raped by one of the wardens. But Brendan was too ashamed and worried to tell his family at the time. Understandably, Brendan ran away from Trinity House multiple times. He couldn't stand being there. But instead of trying to resolve the situation and get to the bottom of Brendan's problems, when Brendan would run away, his father would just bring him back. Mr. O'Donnell wanted nothing to do with his son. The last time Brendan ran away from Trinity House, he ended up sleeping rough in Craig Wood, which is a little forest area outside of Whitegate Village. He had no food, he had no shelter, he had no warmth. He's still in like his like late teens at this point, and I bet he was doing okay. But on one particular night, the... It was cold, wet, rainy, Ireland. It was Ireland. (laughs) And so Brendan couldn't take it. So he he turned up on the door of his second cousin, Tony, who was like much older than him, like a father and stuff. They weren't close at all, but Tony felt so bad for the young boy. He's not even in his 20s yet, and this poor boy has already lived like a whole life he's been in and out of detention centers and mental hospitals and violence and loss and surrogate mothers it's I'm sleeping rough running away running across the country to get home like he felt bad Tony felt bad for him he thought maybe I can help so Tony took him in on this bad night and gave him some clean clothes and food Brendan told Tony that he was on the run from Trinity College. (laughs) Trinity College. He was on the run from Trinity House and there was no way he was going back there. He said he would rather sleep rough. And I mean, like, how bad must this place have been if he would rather sleep in the wet forest than in a bed in this place? Finally, Brendan had somebody to open up to about the sexual abuse. He told Tony he was sexually abused and he just didn't feel right in the head. So Tony took the young boy under his wing and tried to help, hiding Brendan from the guards so he wouldn't be escorted back to Trinity House. Tony got some money together. He was willing to pay the psychiatric hospital to take Brendan in But it was Brendan's father who wouldn't sign the papers to have Brendan admitted. Like, he didn't even have to pay anything. All he had to do was this. So hard, right? Ah. 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 
Sign the paper. But damn it! At a loss, Tony contacted his solicitor and gained custody of Brendan in court, saving Brendan from going back to Trinity House. Tony allowed Brendan to stay in his home and continued to try and get Brendan help. Brendan had good weeks and bad weeks, but because he was going untreated now, I mean, Tony doesn't have access to psychiatric drugs, soon it became impossible to keep Brendan safely in his home. And I mean, Tony has to think of his own family. He's got a wife and kids, like, and a job and a house, like, like, you can't always be completely selfless. You can't. Other people can suffer for your selflessness. Although troubled and tortured, Brendan was still violent, dangerous, unpredictable. So Brendan had to move out of Tony's house and moved into his grandmother's house in Air Court, County Galway. Remember, his sister lived there. Brendan stayed with her for three weeks, but that was too much for Granny. Brendan was now suffering from both auditory and visual hallucinations. In 1992, his sister Anne Marie, who had her own child by now, was living in a flat in County Galway. Brendan lived in the same block of flats. And you think this would be good, keep an eye on him, keep the siblings close. Nope. One day, Brendan called in to Anne-Marie and asked her to make him a sandwich. Anne-Marie replied, in a minute. Brendan was furious. <laughs> furious. He got extremely agitated that she told him to wait a minute. He grabbed the kitchen knife and lunged at her, trying to stab her in the chest. But thankfully, Anne-Marie was able to fight him off and he stabbed her in the knee instead. Like, like, that's just crazy. Oh my God. It is scary. Like, you know he's not well, but it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. Like, he's clearly becoming violent. After this very scary incident, the guards came back to pick Brendan up. He told them it was Anne-Marie who was the raving lunatic. His words, not mine. He said she was trying to poison him. Thankfully, they didn't believe Brendan and he was put in a psychiatric hospital and kept there for two weeks. Two weeks is not long enough, in my opinion. You tried to stab your sister in the chest because she wouldn't make you a sandwich quick enough. And I know he's not well, but he needs medication. And how do you think he was when he came out of hospital? A hundred percent. He was in a worse state than when he first went in. In the spring of 1993, Brendan tried for a fresh start and went to England. But it wasn't long until he got into trouble again. I'm not sure what this trouble was. He was arrested. Um, it was probably burglary or acting erratic, disturbing the peace something like that because he was given bail and he got out. So in 1994 he skipped bail and returned home to Whitegate. Brendan is now 20 and he had spent 80% of his teenage years in detention centres, prisons and psychiatric hospitals. And if Brendan wasn't locked up 
he was most likely living rough. When he returned to Whitegate, he was back living rough in Craig Woods. Brendan soon became known as The Fox. I don't know where he got this name from, but it's probably because Brendan is quite slight and he's got like a red, like scraggly beard. And he lives in the woods, man. Like he lives in the woods. He's called, they called him the fox. Oh dear. Oh my. On Friday, the 29th of April, 1994, Brendan broke into a local house, stealing the owner's shotgun. He had a grand plan. He was going to rob the post office. Dun, dun, dun. Like what? <laughs> what a ridiculous place to rob. Am I right? Or do people rob the post office? I think it used to be a thing. Like logically in my head, it's like, oh, if I'm going to commit armed robbery with a gun, I should definitely rob the post office. They sell so many, so many infinite number of stamps. If I pull this off, I'll be eating well for days, days. In order to complete this plan, Brendan figures that he needs a getaway driver. This is when Brendan makes his way to Amelda Riney's house. Amelda Riney was born and raised in a middle-class area of Dublin. As an artist, she mainly worked with glass and mosaic. Previously, Amelda had been living with her husband, Val Balance in the UK with her two boys. But after the breakdown of their marriage in 1992, Amelda moved back to Ireland with their two sons, Oshin and Liam. Amelda bought an old cottage on the outskirts of Whitegate Village. Amelda did a bit of painting and taught pottery at some of the local schools. She was known around Whitegate and surrounding areas. She was part of the alternative folk. The alternative folk were some Irish but others were from England, Germany and Holland. Artists, hippies, poets, blow-ins, outsiders. Despite the breakdown of the marriage, Amelda and Val remained on good terms and he would visit her and the children often, once a month, staying in Ireland for a good number of days. On the 24th of April 1994, Val was in Ireland visiting Amelda and the boys. He was also working on a little project at the local primary school while he was over. On Friday the 29th, Val dropped their oldest son, seven-year-old Oshin, to a neighbour's house and went off to work on his project at the school, leaving 29-year-old Amelda and three-year-old Liam alone at the house. The plan was that the family were to meet him later at the school later that day. But Amelda never showed. At some point after Val left Amelda's cottage, on Friday the 29th, Brendan arrived at Amelda's cottage. He told her his plan, that he was going to rob the post office in Whitegate Village. And she was to be his getaway driver. Liam in the house did not put Brendan off and before he kidnapped Amelda and Liam, Brendan raped Amelda. After this, 
Brendan forced Imelda and Liam into her car, an old red Ford Fiesta, making her drive towards Whitegate. Imelda signalled frantically out the car window, trying to alert people that she was in trouble. She was seen by the locals, but they didn't really twig that anything was wrong and so didn't report this strange behaviour and essentially Imelda's kidnapping. They didn't report it to the police because they didn't really know what they seen. But Brendan realised he could tell that Imelda was signalling for help. Immediately he changed his mind. His plan was ruined and he told Imelda to drive to Craig Wood instead. Imelda did as she was told. Imelda parked the car outside the woods and then Brendan walked Imelda and Liam into the forest. Imelda knew what was coming so she turned and fought against Brendan, struggled for the shotgun. It went off, shooting her in the eye. Imelda fell down dead. With Imelda now dead, Brendan turned the shotgun on the petrified and crying three-year-old. Then he shot little Liam. When he was finished, Brendan buried mother and son next to each other in a shallow grave. He then walked back to Imelda's car, removed the license plate and then set the car on fire. <sighs> Awful. Like just a normal morning. Just turned tragic. Brendan then bummed around the woods for the next few days and then on Sunday his uncle drove him to Air Court where he had tea with his granny but again he was not welcome to stay at his granny's so at 9pm he left and slept in an abandoned property. Meanwhile back at Imelda's cottage Val had returned wondering why she hadn't shown up. When he got there, Imelda's car was obviously gone and when Val entered the house, he found the gas cooker was still lit, the piping hot kettle was boiled dry on the hob and Imelda's tobacco pouch was still on the countertop but there was no sign of Imelda or his son. Remember, this is before mobiles so sometimes people just didn't know where each other were. It's not like today. You know? Val thought perhaps Imelda had gone to visit one of her six sisters. So Val just waited until the next day. When Imelda and Liam still hadn't shown up, Val reported them missing to the guardie on Saturday, the 30th of April. But the guards didn't show any concern and said she probably just went off for a few days. This is such a ridiculous answer or like explanation like why would she just disappear for a few days like they had plans he flew from England to Ireland to visit his boys and it was all agreed like why would she just leave with one of the boys and it's been like a day why hasn't she left a message she's had time to leave a message or phone or get somebody to contact Val she knows that he's working in the school like, if it was an emergency, she could have contacted him by now. 
If she was going somewhere for a few days impromptu, why would she leave the gas on? And why would she leave her tobacco? Later that same day, the same day, a burnt out red car with no license plate was found outside Craig Woods. Police knew Amelda, oh, she drives a red car. Nah, not suspicious at all. Oh no, in our little town of 170 people, we always have burnt out cars. It wasn't until Tuesday, the 3rd of May, two days after being reported missing and three days of being missing, that the media, not the Guardi, not them, the media, spread the word about the missing mother and child. Val had contacted the news, giving them photographs and pleading for their help. Since the guards weren't. Finally, people in the area were aware of the dire situation. Neighbours distributed photocopied posters appealing for information on her whereabouts. They spoke amongst themselves, to Val and to the media. And they made connections. Craig Woods. Mm, that's where that burnt out car was found. Isn't that where that violent, unhinged guy is living rough? Hmm. They all knew Brendan had to be involved. A desperately worried Val told the TV news that a local had seen Amelda's little red car driving north out of Whitegate, an area where she had no known contacts. There was no reason for her to be driving northwards. But also, there was somebody in the back seat. But still, the Guardi were not concerned and did nothing. Remember, Amelda is from Dublin. Val is from England. They are both outsiders. They are not seen as members of the community. The Guardi couldn't give a frig. And that is where I will leave you. In part two, I will be covering... The continuing rampage of Brendan O'Donnell, as well as his capture, trial, and the aftermath, of course. Thank you to Lou Marie. This is a great episode. It took me a while to get everything in chronological order, but I think it's worth it for the storytelling. Anyway, okay, right. See you in part two. Slam.